I felt like I had to recuse myself from every because I'm like, I hate this music and I don't get it. Anyways, the long and short of it is that even though I had some preconceived ideas about said music, he had really cool ways of keeping me engaged. Hey, hey, welcome to Jazz Office Hours. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, here with Corey Weeds. Corey, it's pouring rain in Vancouver. I heard you went away. Talk a little bit about what you did while you were in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, well, uh, it's good to be here again, Will. Thank you. Um, yes, and it is raining. I mean, is that what you call it? I mean, it's like, it's like, I mean, it's even, it's beyond rain, man. Uh, it's awful outside. But anyways, yes, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, um, sunny Phoenix, Arizona, uh, helping um, a wonderful club there called The Nash celebrate their 10-year anniversary. And uh, the Nash is um, named after Lewis Nash, who's uh, from Phoenix originally and actually lives back in Phoenix now. He still has his home in, in Jersey, but he, he spends most of his time in Phoenix um, when he's not on the road. And so he was there and he's very involved with the club. And I happen to know the um, uh, the the some members of the board, I guess, if you will, that are sort of responsible for the beginning of that club. And they actually live here uh, five months of the year. Uh, they try to get out of the heat um, in Bank, uh, in Phoenix and, and come and stay here, which is so funny for me. Imagine that. Fat, I know, right? It's crazy. Uh, so anyways, we went down and I saw some great music. Lewis was there with his quintet and we hung out and they've, they've got some really neat things that they do there. And I, I kind of stole some ideas as I often do and thought, I think I could make those things work here. And, you know, because they're a nonprofit, it's very much about outreach and very much about community and, um without sounding like this is sour grapes in any way, there are organizations here that should be doing more of that that don't. Um, and I think it's a big problem. Um, and I am not a not-for-profit, but I certainly have a voice in the city. So, you know, I'd like to try to do more of that kind of stuff just on a simply on an outreach basis to, to get more people um involved and, and get more people excited about what's happening in this city. So, uh, yeah. it was really neat to see the things that they're doing there. So, yeah. Yeah. Obviously you want to outreach to everybody you can and make the biggest impact. But when you're talking about that, is there one or two groups of people who you're thinking of in particular that you really want to focus on? Because there's different ways you could approach it, right? You could focus on outreach to younger musicians or on older fans, et cetera, and everything yeah. in the middle. What are you thinking? Well, I, I mean, I know that, you know, the concept in Phoenix, um, at the Nash is they're not ignoring the older people, but you kind of got those people cornered, especially in a place like that, which is full of snowbirds and people right. that are seeking the heat. So older, you know, older people, they're focusing on young, like how can we get the young people engaged in this music? And I, I'm not there enough to know whether they're being successful at it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, but some of the ideas are very cool. Um, and so I, I mean, in order for this music to prosper and survive, I mean, you have to go younger. Now, if you really want to, if you really want a, a, a good fight and a, and a, and a tough battle, you want to go really young. Um, I, I don't think I have the energy for that, but that's <laughs> where you need to start. I mean, it needs to start in high school. Um, and you need to, we need to find ways to get these kids engaged in the music, um, 
to learn about the music. But I mean, I would be happy. And as I look around the room at Frankie's, you know, I'm seeing 30 year olds and 40 year olds and I'm even happy with 50 year olds. Heck, I'm even happy with like 60 year olds, um, <laughs> you know, and it's, so it's important. So like when I say outreach, I mean to a younger audience than 70 or 60. And I, I say that with all due respect to my, my tried and true supporters that are, you know, 70 and in the golden years, you know, but we need to get younger. And I don't know if you can just skip over a bunch of generations and go, you know, high school, but, you know, sort of trying to work back. I mean, in some ways, I don't want to say the pandemic helped anything because the pandemic sucked all around, but if the pandemic did one thing, at least for the small community of jazz in Vancouver, when you look at the club now and I'm constantly on stage introducing the band going, I don't know anybody here. Oh yeah. And I look around, I'm like, wow, where are these people coming from? And some of them are older, but a lot of them are middle-aged, you know, a lot of them are 30 to 40 and we're getting some young people there and it's fantastic. So I, I always, yeah, I don't know if you've heard one of my intros lately, but when I get up there, I say like one of the benefits of the pandemic, which always sounds weird to me because so many people lost their lives, they lost their livelihoods. So it seems weird to get up there and, and say that. And I'm not suggesting for one second that Frankie's is just rocking and totally recovered. They're not. They're still struggling just like every other business to get out of this and figure out the new way forward, whether it be staffing issues, financial, like whatever it happens to be. But one of the benefits of it have been when I look out and because of the way the restrictions were administered here in Vancouver, um, we were able to stay open. And if you think back and it's hard to remember that like this time last year, we were heading into more restrictions, you know, we were able to, we were open every single day with the exception of the times when we were when everybody had to be closed. Right. So when other nightclubs and other live music venues were not allowed to open, we were allowed to open because we're a no talking club. Remember when they were worried about the spreading of droplets, you know, or the passing of droplets and it was just like, right. So we were able to stay open for that reason. And that helped us. I mean, obviously it helped us to be able to, to, you know, be financially viable. Although I don't know how viable it was. I'm not involved in that end, but so we became the place. I think, honestly, whether you liked jazz or not, people needed something live. And what's happened since then is that um, it has continued. It hasn't dropped off. So the interest in the club and the interest in live music, I think in general, is up. And so, and we're seeing it over all the age groups. So that's a very long answer to your relatively simple question, but that's, you know, that's where we're at. And speaking of a particular night at Frankie's or a particular weekend, in fact, how was Sam Taylor and Terrell Stafford? Well, I mean, you know, it was a really, it was a fun night. It was celebratory. Um, you know, Sam is, uh, Sam's, Sam's become a very good friend of mine. Um, he's a wonderful tenor player and he's a wonderful guy. He's very, very thoughtful. Um, he, he was one of the people that I sort of credit for kind of keeping me sane, you know, over the pandemic, we've developed quite a friendship and he's a very, like I said, he's very thoughtful, very thorough. 
uh, and just very intuitive human being. And he's a wonderful saxophonist to boot. And then you have Terrell, who's sort of the polar opposite of Sam in a way, you know, super extroverted and, 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 and very flashy and just his whole approach to life. But there's nothing flashy about his playing in a superficial way. I mean, he's incredible. Um, the second night was great. Nick Peck settled in a little more and, and, and Jesse and John, everybody just sort of settled in as a group more. And it was, it it was, it was really fun. It was great to have Terrell back on the stage. If you, if you remember, you know, pretty much every time Terrell's been here, it's been with me on stage and it was really nice for me to just sit back and go, no, 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 I don't have to worry about that. I'm just going to listen. And so it was, it was really fun. It was really fun. Nice, nice. Yeah, that was a that was a marquee weekend, and there's lots of seller releases on the docket that are really exciting. I'm seeing some of the posts oh that are coming goodness. out about seller albums, and man, there's some heavy stuff coming out soon. Yeah, there's some good music coming out, and you know, I often sort of look at the schedule and go like, "What am I doing here? Like, how am I like what?" And I'm sort <laughs> of changing my. Not that I haven't thought this before, but. You know, there are other labels out there that are heavily curated and I used to be that, you know, I used to be like, you know, no, you know, this is what we're, and I'm not suggesting I'm, I'm putting out lesser quality releases for any reason. That's not what I mean, but it used to be a quite a curated label and what's happened over the last, well, three years is the seller became an outlet for people. I mean, it became an outlet for my American friends. It became an outlet for my Canadian friends and musicians and my Vancouver friends. And people look at it and they see what we're doing. They want to be a part of it, but it's also this outlet that helps artists get their music out. So of course we have several different, we may have talked about it on the show. I can't remember, but you know, I have sev several different ways in which I get music out to the world, but you know, like it's different than, you know, uh, Greenleaf you know, for example, that is definitely more curated, uh, smoke sessions, um, even origin records, although they operate more like me than the other way, but it just became an outlet. And then of course we have factor funding. So that takes care of our Canadian arm of, of recordings. But the fact is without trying to mask the reality of being a Canadian artist living in Canada, those don't generate enough revenue, even with factor. It's really hard. It's really hard to take <clears throat> a Canadian album. I do okay, but I'm sort of, uh, I'm international. And I, I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but like I'm out <laughs> there. So, you know, I have reputation, yeah. you know, I've been working at it a long time. But you take some of these other people who are quite frankly are better musicians than I, who are not as well known because they choose to thankfully choose to stay here and make their home here or stay in Canada. So those, those releases, so there's that arm of the label. Then I've got the U S arm that are curated. Like when I go to Rudy Van Gelder's and, and, and do all those records, got all that. Then we've got our black jazz series. It's produced by Jeremy Pelt. Um, and then we've got the other stuff where people come to me and say, I have this record and I say, well, I don't have enough money. Like I'm, I'm not a bank, you know, I don't have the resources to just like put everything out, but I have this other model in which to get these releases out. So if you ask my honest opinion, we're putting out too much stuff. Having said that, we're getting really good streaming numbers. We're getting really good social media engagement and we're getting really good physical numbers. So the market is telling me that we're not putting out too much stuff or it's just right. But I, when I look at the schedule of stuff we have upcoming, it's like, are you kidding me? And, yeah. um, 
you know, one thing we're doing, which you aren't aware of yet, is that, you know, I spoke a minute ago about going to Rudy's and doing, um, you know, I'll do five dates there in New York. Well, we're doing that in Vancouver this year. We're doing it in February, um, kind of around the uh, the Jazz of the Bolt. We're going to be at Monarch Studios Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, as I'm excited about it, but it's just like, oh my God, like, how is this all going to work? You know? So, uh, yeah, we just, I'll keep doing it until somebody tells me I shouldn't or until there's some indication that I shouldn't be doing it. But it does, it's pretty overwhelming to look at it sometimes. No kidding. But in a good way, hey, I mean, we got, we got you to mention Greenleaf on the show. I'll have to go tell you <laughs> about that. There you go. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I, man, I'm, I mean, I think that, you know, there, uh, there are many examples of people, um, you know, now I, uh, my precursor is that Dave releases great music on the label. It's not the music that I'm, you know, aligned with necessarily, but there are people who are really kind of taking matters into their own hands. Like I always have. So it's funny when I, and I'm not speaking about Dave specifically, but you know, I'll read articles or, you know, see something about somebody and like, wow, this guy's like really like, you know, I'm like, I've been taking it in my own hands for the last 20 years. Like, you know, and yeah. I, I get a lot of press, so it's fine, but it, it, it's always a little bit funny to me. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing that forever. So it's nice to see people such as Dave who already has a huge profile and quite frankly, I mean, I don't know Dave's background, but he probably doesn't need to be doing this. I, I'm, and I'm not suggesting he's well off and can just sail into the sunset. It's not what I mean, but I'm not sure that he needs to be doing this and he's doing it. And I venture to guess if you got right down to the, the, the brass tacks with him, it's about being in a position where you can help artists and yeah. you can help further this music. Am I making a living at it? Yeah, of course I am. And am I taking money from factor and paying myself and I'm, are people pay, without question. I mean, I need to make a living. I need to feed my family, but we're providing a service for, for musicians that, that don't have the same skill set that somebody like Dave or myself has, you know, to, to handle that end of things. And it's really cool. And you see it happening you know, you see it happening more and more with musicians kind of taking things into their own hands and doing it. And I think it's really cool. I think Kurt Rosenwinkel just started his own label, Hardcore, that's getting a little bit more active right. and, and musicians are starting to do that. And it's, 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 it's really neat. So I have a lot of respect for, uh, for Dave and what he's doing at Greenleaf. I follow them and, and keep up to date with what they're doing. I really follow Smoke Sessions a lot. That, that, the aesthetic of that music is more aligned with what I love to listen to and, and, and search out. So I follow them a lot and it's, it's, it's neat. There's some really cool stuff happening. Yeah. It's a new, new era of artist run labels. It you is, also said, it uh, uh, that thing about, oh, we're putting out too much stuff. Maybe I know you don't really mean that it's more of an expression, uh, of, of how you're feeling in it, but it's kind of the same thing as how you said, oh, when Frankie's was active in the more tightened up, covid times that um it wasn't financially viable like i mean yeah you could say that but it depends on the scope of how you're looking at it because like yeah it wasn't financially viable at that time but it's led to this great outcome by bearing down on it at that point it's led to what it is now and just like how you're putting out all this great music now even if it's technically like too much stuff if you looked at it from a number crunching perspective or how you feel overwhelmed like imagine what it's going to lead to right 
Yeah, and I mean, look, the fact is the music is going to come out whether I'm putting it out or not. So it's 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 not as if, oh my God, like if Corey doesn't help me put it out, I'm not going to do it. They'll just go right. to the next person. So the, the music is going to come out. And we live in this weird time of, very weird and odd time of needing a lot of content. Huh. And I'll give you, I'll give you a, a funny example. Um, and I, I'll, I'm going to try and, well, you can edit it out, but I'll, I'll try not to use names. And if I do, please do edit it out. But I had an artist okay. who, and I'm not sure that this matters, who quite frankly is better, I mean, better than me. I guess that's a dumb thing to say. I, I this, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> and this person said, you know, you have X amount of Spotify listeners per month, and I only have this many. And this person was sort of, they weren't saying this specifically, but they were saying like, I'm this, and you're this, but you're this, and I'm this. So I kind of read between the lines, and I said, well, have you looked? Like, it's obvious to me. Have you, you look at what I do, like what I've done. So let, let's break it down. I put out 20 records as a leader. I'm putting out stuff all the time. I'm posting all the time. I'm talking about what I'm doing all the time. You're putting out stuff not as much as me. You're putting out stuff not as a leader. It's just about activity. And I'm not railing on this person per se. I'm just suggesting that you can't look at me and then compare me to you and say, well, how come he's doing better or appears to be doing better? Maybe look at my catalog. Look at all the stuff I'm producing that has nothing to do with me as a player. Look at my relationships in New York City. Look at the, my teams that I'm working with. Look at the people that I'm working with. You've decided to stay here, carve out a thing here. And that, quite frankly, is a tougher go. Now, I didn't do all the stuff I'm doing because I thought it would lead to this. I did those things because that's naturally what came to me. I had the club and these relationships started and, you know, I'm a bit of a risk taker. So all this to say, we live in a time when content is key and trying to make sure that the quality of the content is high and remains high. It's not a challenge. There's so much great music out there, but, you know, trying to keep the quality of the content high and just keep putting it out, you know, and I've seen, we've talked about the pandemic. I saw what happened over the pandemic. We used to, I'm not kidding you, Will, we used to go, I could go two weeks and not get one order on my website for anything. The pandemic starts in March and I almost needed a full-time person to sit here and fulfill the orders. The only thing that saved me is a lot were downloads, so we don't have to do anything with those. It was insane. And this, 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 uh, people got this appetite to support independent artists and indep independent labels. And now it's, I wake up every day and I look at my email and I'm like, okay, I got to go down and fulfill three orders. That n three years ago never huh. happened. Now, maybe that's pandemic related. Maybe that's just all of a sudden seller is, I, I don't know, but. Whatever we're doing is working, but it should be noted that I'm not paying for my house based on seller music and record sales and streaming revenue. I'm not paying my mortgage and I'm in a position and I'm, I'm again, I'm, I just bring up Dave because of your 
involvement, but I'm guessing could be wrong, but I'm guessing it's probably the same for Dave. I don't think he's making car payments and house payments and feeding his family if he has one based on record sales. And that's a very nice position for me to be in. It's fun for me, but it has become a very, like, it has become a very time consuming and very busy thing. I'm getting opportunities that have financial rewards because of the label, but I'm not physically saying, okay, the label did this much this month. Here's a $5,000 check for Corey. I'm just putting it all back in there and putting out music. So, and that's always the first thing I say when people interview me, like, wow, how do you be successful in the record label business? I'm like, well, how you be successful is you get granted from the Canadian government and you don't feed your family based on record sales and you keep a very realistic view of what you can achieve. That's how you do it. Yeah. I mean, not everybody has that. I'm very lucky. If you just broke that down into business speak, it would just be reinvest get appropriate leverage, which is what the grants are doing. And we'll talk about grants in a second on our first official question of the episode and uh, manage with realistic, I mean, we always talk about expectations, right? Set expectations, get some leverage, reinvest. And you've been doing that for 20 years. That's that's the game. There's there's not much else to it when it comes down to it. No, there isn't. And I think we may have touched on this in a previous episode, I, I think, but I've, I've always said this, I've said this at my business of music clinics forever. You can't, well, you can, but you shouldn't look, I am going to release a CD. This CD is going to cost me X amount of dollars. Therefore, I have to sell this many CDs in order to pay this. No, you, you, as soon as you do, you're hooped because chances are you're never going to, that it's never going to work. It's like you put the CD out. Now, what did that get you? And I think I use the example of, well, I, I use it all the time of my record with Joey Francesco. Yeah. Can I do a spreadsheet with a chart that, no, I can't, but I'm still here today and I'm bringing in more than I'm paying out. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I'm like, well, that's, that's the, you know, there's more money in my bank account than there is going out. Therefore it's working. So and as soon as the same as idea as how Frankie yeah. stayed open in a tough time and maybe took yeah. some hits and now they're here. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's always at play. And some people have said, oh, well, you know, you, it's easy for you. You know, you have 250 records and Frankie pays you, Frankie pays, Frankie's pays this much. No, no, no. It was like that when I started the seller, because when I started the seller, I had nothing. The fact is we would have been out of business in eight months if I didn't have investors, but you know, and this, oh, you had investors. It was easier. Well, no, those investors came on because they believed in me and you know, so uh, there's all of that stuff, you know? Yeah. I wanted to flag something about monthly listeners too, because you mentioned that. I've talked about this a little bit. I've written about it a little bit, but that's a particularly kind of dangerous statistic. <laughs> and I, I don't think a lot of people really recognize why. And just to cue up why, I mean, there have been months. There aren't many these days, but over the past couple of years, there have been spots of time where if you checked on that day, uh, yep. I would have had more monthly listeners than Corey. Um, yep. Now, there aren't very many of those right now, but the reason why that happens is because monthly listeners is recalculated every day based on the number of unique accounts on Spotify that listen to any of your tracks at least once in the last 28 days. And I think people talk about it like it's followers, like it's something that <laughs> persists more. Yep. But really, yep. I mean, let's just think about it. If you get on and Corey has you know, had great success on this particular editorial playlist called Coffee Table Jazz, among others. 
if you get on that playlist, if it has a couple million followers, which I believe it does, um, likes on that playlist, um, just getting one track on that playlist, if you check the next day, you'll have hundreds of thousands of monthly listeners. You could yep. go from 100 to 100,000 in a day like that. And then you'll it'll show a high number of monthly listeners for you for the next month or so. But then once you're off that playlist, all of a sudden, once the, the date tracking for that statistic passes a certain threshold, it'll just yep. drop. It'll just come back. It's not something yeah. that persists as much as how many followers you have. So it's kind of a dangerous thing to say somebody has this many monthly listeners without kind of time boxing it, you know? Yeah. So, but here's the other thing. I agree with you hundred percent. And I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I don't read all your articles. I read those ones though. Like, because you're very nice. thorough and very researched around that. Thank you. And what I'll say about that, it's just a number that looks pretty. And if you use that number in the right way to get people excited you know it's the same thing like oh yeah we had 300 people at the concert oh really how many of them paid or we got That's number I, one on this chart yeah uh, how many of them how many of those 300 people paid did all 300 paid oh okay well now you, but in the virtual world nobody cares about that people see oh four he's got four hundred thousand listeners and maybe because of that because look well let's face it we're all not that bright. And <laughs> people will go, oh, 400,000. I got to check that out. Oh, that person only has 2,000. Yeah, maybe that's because it's not good. That's the way we, that's the way people think. And it's so stupid. Yeah. And I even find myself sometimes thinking that like, oh, they've sold this many of that. I mean, I got to get, I got, I, I, I got to, I got to do that. It's like, well, no, do you like the music or don't you? Does it, none of that other stuff matter. So this whole digital world that we live in has these, um, has these these fake things like you didn't use fake, but these sort of uh, uh, un unsupportive or unfactual numbers that we like to use. Like, what's that thing they do? Remember at the end of the year? Spotify oh, that's coming. Spotify wrap, right? Oh yeah, the Spotify wrap. So by the time we have it. our December episode, it'll be happening. <laughs> but here's what I can tell you: is that at the end of the day, when I sit here and tell you that we have generated what I feel is a significant amount of streaming revenue for our releases. There's no way to know why. So all we have to think about is maybe it's because 40 people saw that I had 400 listeners and 400,000 listeners and went and listened. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because of this Facebook app. We don't know. So at the end of the day, that's why this person is coming to me saying, well, you have this many and how, how can I get that many? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything, but they isn't see it, that. So, you know. Isn't it part of this whole game that's been going as long as the industry has been alive? Like, didn't rec didn't the major labels used to buy hundreds of thousands of their own stock and then return who them knows? to pop up chart numbers? Yeah, I mean, who knows? Probably. I mean, it's. I'm sure that there was so much skullduggery going on in those days that you know. Yeah. Uh, yes, but you know, you use the thing. You 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 ugh, you use the things at your disposal. You try to do everything. And, you know, you can look at my social media stuff. Like I'm not exactly a guru. I'm active. I post all our releases every Friday. I could be doing tons more, but 
my social media is okay. It's not great. I'm always selling something. And some people say, oh, well, you should, you know, post pictures of you eating a donut at your local shop and engage with the people in a real way. I'm like, but that's not, I don't it's not find real that to engaging. You. It's not real to me. So this, I have a record label. I'm selling records. I want you to check it out. So it's not because, you know, so when I talk to my social guys, like, why is Corey Weeds just cool and doing so good? It's like, because they, you have a name. For better or for worse, you have a name and I can self-deprecate all I want. You have a name. You've been doing it a long time. You put out a lot of content. Your social media is decent. You engage with people, people like, you know, all of that stuff. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, but as long as it keeps generating the revenue, then I'm happy. I always talk about like the keeping the lights on philosophy of social media yeah. is what like 90% yep. of people seem to enjoy because the problem is for for people like me, for, for younger people who are curious about how they can use social media to do stuff, what we end up doing a lot of the time is uh, we will uh, look for information, tutorials on YouTube or other social accounts that are like dedicated to making content about how to grow a following. So it's kind of meta yeah. and weird in, in that sense. But yep. that advice... You know, that's great for people who are operating at a certain level and who are really, really, really ambitious and who are willing to put kind of serious time and, and money into like a huge social effort. But for sure. most of us, we can't do that. And so we probably shouldn't follow that advice. Like what seems yeah. to work better for most people is how can you like just consistently use it to keep the lights on, like to know, to let people know that you are there and that who you are kind of thing. And that, that, yep. that doesn't take the same amount of effort, but also requires showing up and that's hard too. So it's like just figuring yeah. out how to get the keep the lights on level active is a lot better than trying to pursue like really advanced tactics about how to grow it kind of thing. And have you seen, um, have you seen James Danford's Monday morning things? Yeah. They're really cool. And I mean, that's a lot of effort he's putting in and he's not getting a ton of engagement, but I think if he keeps doing it, you know, it's cool. It's a really neat thing that he's doing. The, the other, tra the other, uh, trap, and this existed before social media and it's always going to exist where, so what I was going to say is that people think now there's a quickness to like, Oh, I got social media so we can, I can make money or become famous or it doesn't work like that. And it didn't work like that 30 years ago. There's always somebody that slips through the cracks. We're like, wow, they really suck. And they're making billions of dollars. I mean, we could go through the whole pop world and go mm -hmm. like, really? And that happened 10 years ago, 15, 20, 25, 30. It's going to, and it's going to continue to happen. Yes. You can become an internet sensation. You can become a YouTube sensation, an Instagram sensation, and I'm not saying this to build myself up. I never went into, and I'm, I'm certainly not a sensation in any respect, but everything that I've done is organic. Like I'm just, I love the music. I'm putting out the music. I'm taking cues from, from the people that I respect. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to be better. Uh, and I'm just trying to do my thing. And sometimes those things win and sometimes those things lose. And we go back to the, as long as I'm winning more than I'm losing, then everything's cool. But there isn't, I'm not doing anything that I'm doing thinking, Ooh, this is going to get me here quick. You know, and I'll give you another example. Um, we have a record that's coming out by a young woman that nobody knows. Her name is Imogen Moon. And she got a very large Canada council grant. 
Um, I know who that is, but I'm kind of I'm in the the people who are looking all the time. So I mean, yeah. so she we got her a grant, and she essentially recorded with Amy Winehouse's band. The project is incredible, and there's a really cool story that I won't tell you now because I'll wait for it to come out. Um, and in my mind, thinking, ooh, like this is gonna be, like this is gonna. The expectations, there's the E word again. Yeah. And I've had to sit back now and go, no, I don't have any expectation. Why did you put it out? Is it good? Do you like it? Great. We will do everything we can. We're filling out every grant to get marketing support and everything we can. Do you like the music? Yes, I like the music. Okay. Well, the music is going to do what the music does. Don't try to uh, stuff a square peg into a round hole. Like just put it out and, and just do it because I think as soon as your expectations get too high, that's when you start to think like, oh my God, like why isn't this doing well? And usually, and again, I would love to use examples, but I can't. Mm -hmm. There's a reason. Sometimes there's very concrete reasons about that. Um, And if you haven't learned those things or you're not aware of those things, you would never know not to make those mistakes. Um, But you know, let me give you an example. This I can give you an example. Be careful. If you're going to put out a record called Will Chernoff's whatever, you got to make sure that, like, you want to, like, everything I put out is Corey Weeds. Unless I'm a part of the Nightcrawlers. But I don't want to come up with a new name. Oh. And if you go, if you go onto my Spotify profile or title and type in Corey Weeds, all my records don't come up. Uh- yeah, that's I wrote a, an article pro- about this yeah, called Legibility. That, I actually used, I love him. We he's he's not again, he's not on your side of music, but Gord Gardina, right? right? I used him as an example. He has 10, literally it's he a big, has 10 different big Spotify profiles. It's a yeah. very big it's a very very big problem and we didn't get hip to, I didn't get hip to it until way too late. Now I'm hip to it. So you know, yeah. you have if you're releasing physical music, you can call it whatever you want, but when it comes to digital Everything is Corey Weeds. And so when you're starting a new band, you're starting from scratch. Even if you're the primary artist, that's great. But you have to understand, if you have this profile already as Corey Weeds, and I'm going to start a new thing called the Corey Weeds Jazz Orchestra, that's a new thing. Perhaps that's a bad example only because my name is in there. But let's say I'm starting a new thing called uh, you know, Jack Lake Jazz Orchestra. And I'm the le- well. You're starting. You're starting that profile from scratch. Yeah, and not a lot of artists understand that. So I have some artists again who shall remain nameless who have tried to educate around that. So well, you're starting from, and I get that you want to do that, but you can also only have three primaries. And if you start a band name, that's one. So if you start something, the, the Jack Lake Jazz Orchestra, that's your first primary artist. Then you got two more. On what? What Otherwise, are we talking about here? Like on your distributor plan or? Like, no, like a primary, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm talking fast. As a, on, on digital service providers, you get three. Oh, I see. Yeah, they all, you can only, each individual release can only have three yeah. main artists main or, artists or, yeah or it can have more but then it gets flagged as various artists which isn't good for anybody oh okay so, I, I totally get what you're saying now thanks yeah yeah so yeah. you have Corey the Jack Lake Jazz Orchestra Corey Weeds and one other person in that band then you're done 
because so if that it goes lim- more than it it get the artist is labeled as various right. artists. Yeah, right. right. You know, so all those little things that I wouldn't expect a regular Joe to understand because they're not involved. I didn't even understand it until a month ago. I'm like, oh, of course. I mean, I understood the the name thing, but the primary artist and how all that works and. You know, so that's why, like, and I had a, a funny email from an artist said, I thought we were calling the record this. I'm like, we are. He's like, well, I saw it online. It's it's called Ding Dong. I'm like, no, 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 Ed, it's not called Ding Dong. That's the single that's called Ding Dong. And that's why that graphic is there. Ed, yeah. Cherry, Ding Dong. It read a little funny, but, you know, <laughs> that's why. So all these things are just sort of trying to kind of figure out and, and go forward. And it's, it's really difficult, but now I'm starting to gain the knowledge a little bit more so I can advise people properly and say like, here's what you're, here's what you're, you're up against if you choose to go that direction. Yeah. I mean, literally like, uh, like I'm just putting out an album right now as yeah. William Chernoff and I'm playing some local gigs to kind of put it out, uh, starting this month. Uh, and I have a different group right now. I have a trio. I have a guitar trio where I'm playing electric bass. Um, my first album was with a quartet uh, that I copied the Brad Turner quartet lineup because I was so influenced by it with trumpet, piano, bass, and drums. Right. And so I could have, if I kind of went about it the um, traditional way to kind of emphasize the uh, artistic pattern of how you're putting it out, I could have put out the first album as William Chernoff Quartet. And I could have put yeah. out this album as William Chernoff Trio. But if I did that, I would be managing two separate accounts on streaming. Yeah. And so they're both as William Chernoff. And so are my other, like I have a quintet EP as well. And it's all, everything is William Chernoff so that I have the continuity. And then if I really want to call it, like when I make my gig poster for playing at the Tangent this week that this episode is dropping on Thursday, November 10th, I'm playing at the Tangent and I got a gig poster made. The poster says William Chernoff Trio. You know, the billing, right. I'm playing at yeah. Frankie's, I'm playing The Late Show. Tim booked me for The Late Show. And uh, the billing there is William Chernoff Trio. So I can yeah. still flex that and, and yeah. do it. But when it comes to streaming, it is better. Yeah. It's objectively Absolutely. better if you collect it under a single name when possible because you can share the benefits. Yeah. Digital, physical, playing live, completely different animals handled in completely different ways. Yeah. So what you do physically and playing live, you do whatever you want. But what you do digitally, you have to keep it, you know, yeah. Yeah. Now, we've talked about grants a whole bunch, and I mm-hmm. did have a grants question, so I did want to get okay. practical and come out of here. We've already said a lot of great stuff about them and how they relate to your business. Uh, I've put out some content about how they've related to mine because, in particular, uh, I got and shared, like, the smallest factor grant the factor artist development. Yeah, yeah, one. that's right. Yeah. Good for Two you. times and I published my full grant applications so that other people could see them and some other people have gotten it as a result of that, which is really cool, but the question I got in particular that we can start to close in on is what are the grants that I need to know about as a jazz artist in BC? in this province because there's a provincial element to it as well. Yeah. There's also a national element, which is a lot of what you're talking about. And yep. I was wondering if we could kind of work our way towards a list of things that I can uh, I can print out underneath this episode kind of thing. What do you think are the yeah. grants that somebody needs to know about as a jazz artist in BC on the artist side? Yeah. So first of all, I, I, I will, I can't help. I'm not an expert at that because I don't, I mean, You're doing here's what you do. Factor, 
Canada Council, Creative BC, if you're in this province, and Music BC. If you sign up for all of those mailing lists, you're pretty much covered for any grant. I think SOCAN might have some things too. So Factor, Canada Council, those are the two big, well, and Creative BC is big too. Factor, Canada Council, Creative BC is are your first, those are your first three. Creative BC is the easiest to get, I think. Um, I haven't been involved in the actual application process with Canada Council and Factor for a long time with Factor because, you know, I'm funded under the Comprehensive Music Business Program, the Envelope Fund, and therefore I have not had to apply for Canada Council either. Um, Canada Council generally are bigger, although they do have some smaller type artist grants, but I find, I believe it's Music BC, if you sign up for their mailing list, they send something out at least once a month. Uh, sometimes more. If you go there, uh, you will definitely get everything that you need. And then there's some other smaller ones like SoCan once in a while. But again, I think a lot of that stuff falls under the umbrella of Music BC because that's kind of their job, right? Um, but Creative BC seems to be the most, um, well, actually, and Factor seem to be the most creative. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of little ones with creative BC that can really benefit a young up and coming artist or established artists. Um, whether it's career development, you know, demo grants, career development, video, um, all that kind of stuff. So record in BC, that was a big one. We just got funded for that or doing a record. Um, you know, so some really, some really cool and neat and, 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 um, innovative is the word that I was looking for, not creative. Uh, innovative ideas and grants, but Factor, Creative BC, Canada Council, Music BC, I was going to say is not a granting body, but that's actually not true. They have some grants, but that's where you'll find out about the um, most of them. And so can, to a smaller extent, if you're involved in the, if you're a, a member of the union, the AFFM, they also have some grants available. Um, that's how we did the first Vancouver Jazz Orchestra concert and I found out about that kind of by fluke. Um, you know, so just trying to have your ear on the ground to what's, you know, what's going on and what's out there. Um, but I think I've yeah. listed the major ones. Yeah. And apply for even, them all. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly getting in the loop about their information is good if you're curious about that stuff, because of course they want to, they need to tell everybody about the deadline. So yeah. you're going to hear about them if you yeah. tap into that in terms of specific programs. Uh, I agree with that list of four and I'm familiar with them so I can actually go one level deeper and uh, the actual programs you know like at Factor artist development is the the one where you get your foot in the door and so that's a great place to start with Factor because it's a $2,000 grant and I mean frankly I got it on pretty much nothing like I as William Chernoff I had one single out when I applied to that and I right. talked about what I was going to do next and uh, that was it. And they, they took me based on that. So, you know, that's, it's a, a lot of people apply for that one. And so it technically is competitive, but overall it's a bunch of entry level people. So that's a really interesting one. The best known factor program that you would then kind of graduate into as an artist, if you wanted to seek further funding from factor is called juried sound recording. So right. artist yeah. development though, would still be a great place to start if you've never done 
factor before. Canada Council, there's two in particular. Canada Council is pretty Byzantine in terms of how many different things there are going on when you're trying to learn about it, just because it's so comprehensive. But there's one called Research and Creation. There's one called Concept to Realization. Those are the ones that a lot of artists do. And there's kind of a breakdown there between um, like doing a residency or studying with somebody and then right. making your own project. So Canada Council right. kind of gives you two options for... I've never written a Canada Council grant for myself, uh, but those are kind of the two options that I've been involved with some other people on over yeah, the course the only, of my career. The only thing that I would... You know, the only... I don't know if you were going to ask this question, but the only thing that I would say uh, as a recipient of a grant... As a as a as a person that's been turned down a lot, and as a person that has sat on various juries, what I can tell you is the two juries I've sat on really gave me faith in the process. Um, and just a fun little anecdote: I sat on a Canada Council jury, and as you know, Will, I'm not a fan necessarily of avant-garde music. Um, really? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You had no idea. Uh, <laughs> And Canada Council gets a lot of those. And it was for the recording, or was it touring? It was for touring. And so you had an officer there, and then you had three jurors. And I felt like I had to recuse myself from every because I'm like, I hate this music. Like, I can't. <laughs> I hate it all. And I don't get it. Anyways, the long and short of it is that this officer was really, really good at keeping me engaged and showing me that even though I had some preconceived ideas about said music. He had really cool ways of keeping me engaged. Anyways, the process was phenomenal. It was very educational. Um, and it was very, it was very, um, satisfying. And I felt like all those grants that I got turned down, cause we're all like, they don't like me or somebody's on the jury that doesn't like me. You know, it, it, it really put that to rest. Um, but what I will tell you in all of my experiences is that I don't want you to make up a story. I don't think you should make something up, but I think you should have a story. And even if your story is short, I think you should find somebody to take your story and expand on that story, whether it's a writer, pay a writer a hundred bucks or 50 bucks or whatever. But I think you should have a story. And what I mean is that it can't be, Hey, I'm Corey Weeds. You know, I want $2,000 to make a record with my buddies and play some tunes. You'd be shocked at how many grants came in like that. <laughs> huh. It's like, what? You know, are you like, really? Like you're not even going to give me, it's the same thing we talked about with, with booking, right? Hey, hey man, give me a gig at the club. You know, it's going to be trio. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like what? Give me something. And I think it's important with a grant. Again, some people have built in stories. Some projects have built in stories. Like I talked about Image and Moon. I mean, her story wrote itself. It's incredible. I understand that we all don't have that, but we can all do something. There's a reason you want to record. There's a reason you want to record the music. And if your reason is, oh, I just want to record some music and I don't really want to pay for it, I like to get two grand, then you're not going to get the grant. I'm sorry. And I'm probably not even allowed to say that, but it's true. Like, you're just not. It can't be like this humdy, you know, hidey ho kind of vibe. And like, it, you have to, like, when I sit there, when I fly to Ottawa and take five days out of my schedule and I have to read 28 applications, 
I want to know. I want to know what what I'm granting or what I'm going to score high. Now, sometimes the, the, the band gives a great story and a great marketing plan and the music is sort of like, oh, and then they go down the list. So, so I'm not suggesting that if you have a story, you're going to get the grant, but you get a better chance if you're telling a story. And so that's all I would say. I can't tell you what that story should be. I don't think you should, um, I think you should be, I, I, I don't know if I want to go on record, but put your best face forward musically. Um, I don't think you should try to work the grant system by like, oh, if I hire four women, I'm going to get the grant. Or if I hire three indigenous people, you know, then I'm going to get the grant because that, then that defeats the whole purpose of, of, of inclusion and, and uh, that, that doesn't make yeah. any sense. Right. Do what you want to do. Don't try to work the grant system. Don't, 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 I've never, ever tried to work the grant system. The only time I've tried to work it is I, I've got a great tour plan. The routing is perfect. I've got a great marketing plan and I've got a great story. Oh, look at that. I didn't get it. The next time I applied, I didn't have nearly as good routing. I didn't have nearly as good a marketing plan and I got it. And I don't know the reasons I got it. So I didn't care. And even the one I didn't get, I was like, I was mad. I was really mad. And I, I was like, I want to have an appointment with you. And then I had the jury process. I sat in the jury process and I'm like, oh, I see what happened here. This is how it works. And so just because you don't get one grant doesn't mean you're not going to get the very same grant the next time. So apply for everything and do it all the time. And it's, a, it's an incredible learning experience to do that. I'm at the point now where I, like, I'm not, a, I've never been a very good writer. I'm a, I'm a much better speaker, but I'm not a great writer. So I just pay somebody a hundred bucks or 200, whatever it costs. Can you just write this for me? Like, I need you to take my thoughts about what I'm trying to do and write a story. Yeah. My friend, Jamie Lee started this kind of informal mentorship round thing yes. last month. And I got matched up with a younger bass player who is now a listener of this show. So that was a lot of fun. And we, we talked about various things. So one of the things we talked about is that it's about this thing about getting discouraged uh, if, if you don't win something or if you don't win an application like that and realizing how much of it is just due to the field and the circumstance. And we, oh, yeah. we kind of ended up question. talking about how it's like, it's so much circumstantial and it's so little about you. Like it's so much not a personal judgment on you and it's so much more about the circumstances. Yeah, and we're and we're sensitive artists, right? So and so we're always know, inclined to like have a skewed yeah. yeah oh, they don't like us. Uh, somebody doesn't like us and we're we're being wronged here and it's yeah, you can't and it's okay to feel that way and it's okay to even you know harbor that and keep we all that feel happening. that way sometimes yes but don't let it stop you from doing it again because yeah. uh, that's never gonna work because maybe you know? notice like oh somebody plays at this venue all the time like plays at this yep. club all the time and it's like well maybe part of the reason why that person plays at the time is because the promoter ends up scrambling to fill a date because something happens and the promoter has like two people who they're comfortable yeah. enough to call and try and fill a spot with. And it doesn't mean that they think that person is the best player ever, but yep. they're actually, they have a need. And so they're just looking for a way to fill their need in the circumstances. And when you're exactly. applying for a grant, it's like they have a need to select certain 
applicants and to select a diversity of applications from the field in terms of what the projects are and if somebody else just so happened to submit at the same time as you and their their project is so similar to yours and they take yours they're probably not or sorry if they take theirs they're probably not going to take yours this time but if you put that same project in a different year it'd probably pass with flying colors right so so exactly. much of it is yeah. circumstantial it's so circumstantial and it it does in some ways depend who you get on the jury in terms of what they feel is important to them uh, and I'm not even talking musically it's just sometimes people like sometimes the music is so good they don't care about we don't care about the marketing pro part sometimes the music is on the bubble but the marketing is so great Mm -hmm. You know, and they've got, and, and so, uh, the, but yes, to your answer was very thoughtful and, and, and well spoken. It really is about, it's circumstantial and there are so many factors and you, you drive yourself crazy. Like I said, the, the one that I got turned down for, I'm like, that was a rubber stamp. It was a rubber stamp. It was perfect. I didn't get it. Yeah. So I was, I was mad. And I wanted to swear at people and I wanted to, I'm never applying again for Canada Council. And it's <laughs> like, you know, no, there were probably many, it could have been how many. And, and here's another thing I'll tell you just as an aside, you never know how much money you have as a juror. So it goes up on a board. You don't know that you have $200,000. You don't know. So you rank the art, you rank the, the, the groups, right? From one to whatever, one to 20 or however many applications. You go, okay. Do we all agree that this group is, yeah. Okay. How much did they ask for? Oh, they asked for $35,000. Yeah. Give it to them all. Great. And then you go down the list. Then the guy steps in and says, okay, just so you know, we're out of money. Ooh. Okay. So now we go back and say, okay, who didn't get funded? And like, okay, do you want to take away from this one to give this one? And then you make that decision. So that's sometimes why you first get penal, uh, penalized, not the right word. You first get money taken away from your grant because you applied for something that is ineligible. But sometimes you don't get as much because the, the jury decided that we're going to take X amount and move it down here. So we're going to give you, you asked for 30, we're going to give you 25, but it allowed us to fund this person down here. So I've got the, I don't know if you've got it, Will, but I've got the, the, I've got the letter. We approved your grant, but we ran out of money. I'm like, huh. oh, you know, that's what, that's why that, that happens. That sucks. No, so I've, you were, your no. music was great. Everything was great, but we decided up here that these people were going to get funding. You know, and that's just the, just the name of the game. So I lost that one and that was the end of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, it's it funny. does suck. I, I'm thinking about it on my end too. Like I, for sure, I would say I'm the kind of person who really kind of doesn't fit in well in kind of a bureaucratic setting or whatever, maybe in some of the same ways <laughs> as you. But like, do you think that I would enjoy this? Like you've done being a juror too. Do you think at some point I would enjoy- Oh, you'd doing, love it. I mean, doing my jury it's, not, duty on the <laughs> it's not something that I thought I would like. I loved yeah. it. I just, I thought, I said, you guys can call me anytime you want. I was, I was so fascinated by the fact with this guy. And I, I wrote him an email when I got home and I said, you know, you need to understand, like, I really- 
really dislike like 95% of that music. And I felt that I was a valuable juror in some ways because of that. And I was able to take eight bands that I didn't understand and understand them and rate them in a way, because look, I'm not stupid. I'm a, I'm a, I just don't like that music. It doesn't mean that the musicians are bad. So he had this way of taking me and say, well, okay, you're a saxophone player. Like, you know, talk to me about that. I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, he's, that's burning. I mean, he's, I can't stand it, but it's incredibly, he's incredibly technical and he's okay. Let's keep, you know, so at the end I was like, wow, this is incredible. So I would suggest anybody that gets called to do that, to do it, especially people that apply for grants because it was, it was mind blowing. It was totally mind blowing, you know? Yeah. 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 Just to finish on the four. So we talked about factor. We've got the artist mm -hmm. development as the entry level and the juried sound recording as the bigger one that you could move on to later. Canada Council, you've got the two things that are kind of both under the category of, they call it explore and create. And then there's, yeah. there's two subcomponents of that, um, <laughs> research and creation and concept to realization for you to check out, like whether you want to go study with somebody or do a right. residency or make your own project. Creative BC, there's one program in particular that is the flagship program for people like me or maybe you or your band, et cetera. And it's the Amplify BC Career Development Program, yeah. which was created within the last five years or so and is now a, a core part of Creative BC's grant offerings. And that is kind of the the archetype of like an early career artist grant if you're in BC right now, because their goal with that program is to allow you to work with more people. Literally, it's right. to allow you to spend more money. But what that can mean in the context of that application is you get to create work for music professionals and musicians in BC. Right. So that's, I think of my friend Will Clements when he was starting out as a 20 year old. Yeah. And I remember working on that with him and he wrote that one. He got it to do his first album and he got to have Jody Prosnick and Craig Scott play on his album. And I think Steve to play a saxophone feature on his album or something like that yeah. and recorded at Monarch. And so that kind of thing, even if you're where he was and you're starting from pretty early or all kinds of people from yep. early to successful independent artists in BC apply for that. So that's the Amplify BC Career Development Program by Creative BC. The most recent deadline was in October. So one did just happen, but Plus, it's yeah. one to keep in mind in the future and you can backdate things into it. So if you end up applying right. to a future intake depending on when you're doing your stuff you might still be able to wrap those expenses into that one. Right, and right. then music bc not many of us are doing it right now but it's for touring grants those are the grants that they offer directly but the music bc right. industry association also just informs you about all these other things yes excellent yeah now there's a lot of stuff that we could have thrown into this episode. Uh, it could go quite long if we did, but there's one more thing that I want to toss in because it relates to a bunch of the other great stuff that we talked about okay. on the way in. Um, and that's this question. I'm a student, but, and, and the, the phrasing of this is interesting. Uh, we might disagree with the premise of this question, you know. Um, I have my own thoughts about it. Here's a, here's a question. I'm a student, but I feel like I need to think about my brand as an artist because that's not something that gets taught in my program. What are your thoughts on being a brand? Hmm. That's a very, uh, very good question. 
Well, I think, well, here's what I'll say about that. What I'll say about that is I don't know. And the reason is because it's, I mean, I didn't have a brand when I started. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't know what my brand was until much later. Mm-hmm. If you know what your brand is, yeah, I mean, it's maybe one day we can do this where we actually take live people and and have a discussion around one topic. But anyways, I, I, I it's a, it, in some ways, it's an easy question to answer. In some ways it's hard. So I, I guess I'll take two approaches and I'll try to keep it concise. I'm chatty today and I'm not sure why. It's good. <laughs> I think brand is important. But do. I don't think I don't think as a student you should A be rushed or forced into having a brand, knowing what your brand is, and then what's the word, perpetuating that brand? So I don't think you have to worry about it. I don't think you're doing any harm. Like, look, I mean, I, I, my brand was I was the owner of the Cellar Jazz Club and a saxophone player, and I closed my club and had to reshift my whole focus. I mean, I was a record label guy too. I mean, I was kind of everything. It was sort of like a, you know, and then I closed the club. I was like, oh my God, like what's, what's my brand? Like who am I and what am I, you know? So I, Cellar Music Group is my brand. But I'm still Corey Weeds, which I record for Cellular Music Group and I own Cellular Music Group, but I'm not, it's a different, you know, my brand is Corey Weeds, period. That's my brand. Um, and under that brand falls a lot of stuff. I, I'm sorry, as a saxophone player, my brand is Corey Weeds and there's my little big band, there's my quintet, there's the Nightcrawlers, there's, you know, whatever. Uh, there's my radio show that would fall under Corey Weeds, and then there's the Cellar Music Group, and yeah, of course I struggle all the time with keeping those separate, not bringing them to like. Should I have one Instagram account or Jazz at the Bolt? Like, where does that fall? I think that falls under Corey Weeds, but now we have a Jazz at the Bolt Instagram, so it's like, you know, we're rebranding the 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 monthly concerts to Jazz at the Bolt, Katie Katie George Katie Jazz George. at the Bolt. So you know it. So it's. Brand is ever evolving. It's not like you're Hasbro and you make toys. As a musician, it's not like that. So on one side, if you don't know your brand, your brand will come to you. I don't think if you have a brand, it means that you're going to just skyrocket into the, you know, the regions of success immediately. But if you have a brand and you're very clear about what your brand is and who you are and what you want to throw in, into the world brand-wise, then by all means, go for it. It doesn't mean it can't change, but I've struggled with that for 25 years. Who am I? What is my brand? And I ended up having to just throw my hands up in the air and be like, Okay, like it's just, there's the Cellar Music Group, there's Jazz the Bolt, there's Corey Weeds. Everybody's going to get confused, but it's all going to work out in the end. You know, when I go out into the world, like this was a big conversation with Coastal and continued to be a conversation with Frankie's. So I wasn't, when I worked for Coastal and I was out doing all my Corey Weeds stuff that had nothing to do with Coastal... What did people want to talk to me about? They want to talk to me about Frankie's. They want to talk to me about the jazz festival. That's coastal work. So I was out there not even trying to be the coastal brand. 
I was just trying to be Corey Weeds. All they want to talk about is Frankie's. And to be clear, what you were doing for Coastal at the time, just in broad strokes, was you were booking Frankie's, but through yeah. Coastal, and you were working yeah. with them on the Jazz Festival, right? This yeah. was like yeah. pre the current setup of Frankie's. And quite frankly, you know, and I, mean, I can say there's no ill will, but quite frankly, they couldn't get their head around me. Then I leave Coastal and I keep Frankie's, and I, you'd have to talk to him, which of course you'll never do because he's too busy, but you'd have to talk to Raphael, but I think it took him a minute too. Like this interview we're doing has nothing to do with Frankie's. They pay me very well to do what I do there. And look, here we are, we're talking about Frankie's. And how many times has Frankie's come up in this conversation? I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go to another meeting. It's going to be about Frankie's. People want to talk about Frankie's, Frankie's, Frankie's. Where do we go to this? Where do we go to do this? There's music at Frankie's tonight. Frankie's, Frankie's, (laughs) Frankie's, Frankie's, all the time Frankie's. So what is my brand? Who, like, who am I? Like, what is my thing? I don't know. I'm just, so I'm just like, I'm Corey Weeds. My brands will work themselves out. And I think, I mean, I look at myself as a success, both like artistically and financially and just in general. And so how I've approached my brand has been good. But as a young person, I don't think you're going to be better off because you establish your brand. Like your brand should be your name and then it evolves from there. Yeah. And brands change. It's the same way we talked about it with Spotify and and the digital providers. My, My brand is Corey Weed's Quartet. Oh, cool. Well, what are you going to do when you do a trio record? Or what are you going to do when you do a quintet record or a big band record? Oh, right. I never thought of that. So your brand to start out is your name and it should always be your name. That's why we rebranded the seller as Corey Weeds' Seller Jazz Club. That's the exact reason we did that. I, I was against it because it felt, I'm like, who am I? I don't want my name. But it was brilliant. It was a brilliant and very smart move because it had my name front and center. And when I closed that club, whether people called it Corey Weeds a seller jazz club or not, it was too long of a name, but they knew it was me. Yeah. And that happened when I was 33. Yeah. So you're talking about a, this, this question came from a student who could be 17, 18 or 19. So things are going to change. So yeah. What I thought was interesting about the question was the, I feel like I need to think about my brand as an artist and the thing about it not being something that gets taught in the school program. And there's, there's an interesting tension there. And I, I, I hear that, like, I, I hear the sentiment a lot that jazz school doesn't prepare you for the real world or doesn't, doesn't teach you enough stuff about the the working world, what I call the working world of music generally. But sometimes, um, especially every year I've gotten older, with all the love in the world to my educator colleagues, I wonder if that's a feature and not a bug because if they tried to teach you about it, I don't know if they would do a very good job of trying to no, teach you because, about it. Like, what can what is, they teach you? You have to what, learn by doing stuff in the real world. They, there's two things. The reason they don't teach is because there is no real world. I mean, and secondly, if you do want to put a real world scenario on it, it sucks. The real world sucks. It's not like school. So that does, I'm not, and I'm not trying to discourage people from having a life in music, but I remember reading somebody again who shall remain nameless, very, very good musician said, yeah, I thought when I got out of school, like the phone was just going to start ringing. I'm like, really? You, you, you thought that? Like I knew, I don't know, trying to insinuate I'm smarter, but like I knew when I was going to school in 91, 92, 93, I'm like, man, if I'm going to make it in this business, it's going to be because I 
create the work for myself. And that's always been my attitude. Some people don't have that, that side of their brain doesn't work like that. So again, I'm not suggesting I'm smarter or better or more well off, but the real world is kind of ugly. And you have to start with the mentality that you're going to create your real world. And for me, Will, the only way to do it is to go in and mess up. Yeah. You talk to my, you talk to my wife who never messes anything up. It's because she goes into every situation and assesses everything about it and then makes her decision. Makes me crazy, but that's her way. And there's nothing wrong with that way. Makes me nuts, but that's her way. My way is I jump, I put both feet overboard. I jump in and I just tread water until I figure it out and hope I don't drown. So, and I think that's the way it has to be with music, because if you come out again, expectation, if you come out with these expectations, that's going to be like this, you it's, it's, it's not going to go well. Yeah. And you can read, you know, I'm reading a book on Fraser McPherson right now. I'm reading a book on Ben Webster right now. They're all getting their, they were all getting their asses kicked. You know, like Fraser McPherson went through the cave supper club and they were making good money. And then that whole thing ended and he was just a jazz saxophone player and was like, holy crap. Now he did okay, but you know, all these guys, like it, it, it hasn't changed. So the world is changing and the world is changing and social media, this and social media, every, but there's a lot of things that hasn't, haven't changed. And that is, if you're going to be a musician in this business, it's hard. You know, mm -hmm. Hank Mobley died penniless, broke, and unknown. And the with no footage out of him playing. <laughs> and no footage until I came along. But, you know, 58 records on Blue Note and died penniless. So, and he was one of the greatest. You know, and he's not the only, only one who ended up in that situation. And there's still only a few that are up here. And I, to, to put a real world spin on it, and again, I don't want to speak for anybody, but... Christian McBride maybe like happens to be one of the greatest bassists like ever. And he's up here and there's a whole bunch of musicians who were like here in terms of level, like just a little bit below him, you know, maybe. And I don't even want to say that. Like, I'm not going to compare Christian McBride and John Weber, but like John Weber is doing what the rest of us are doing in the trenches and Christian Mc like there's only a few that make it up here. And the rest of us are just fighting over the scraps and trying to like, and I'm not, man, I'm not begrudging Christian McBride. Christian McBride deserves every single thing he gets. So it's just, you have to just, that's why they don't talk about the real, how can Brad Turner talk about the real world? How could Steve Caldestad talk about the real world? Because I, the real world doesn't look that good, you know? Yeah. And, and it's hindsight. Like, I, I mean, I think of some of these young people, like, getting into the music now, and it, it scares me. When my son comes to me and says, I want to play saxophone in the school band, I'm like, well, please, please don't become a musician. I did very well. I worked very hard. I had some luck along the way. But I'm like, oh, God, please do, don't, don't, don't do what I did. Because it's scary, and it's always been scary. It's always been scary and it always will be scary. There, there's never been a time that, oh, if you go to college and become really good or, or before jazz schools existed, like if I practice 10 hours a day, like I'm just, I'm going to be touring with the Count Basie Orchestra. I'm just going to be cooking. Like, look at what those guys got paid. Like, <laughs> so I know you're, I'm not an educator, so I can say whatever the hell I want, 
and I'm not criticizing Brad, who I brought up, or Steve. I, mean, I love those guys, and, and the fact that they're in the education system is amazing. But what can they teach about the real world? They can only, if they're being honest, they can say, well, the, the real world is not easy. So, yeah. That doesn't mean don't do it, but it just means it's not easy. Maybe it does mean, in the context of this question, like, even though it seems weird and it seems like the program is hanging you out to dry if it's not teaching you about this thing that would have real world applications, like maybe maybe that's totally fine. Maybe that's better because you'll, on your own time, if you end up in this world, you will get to explore what it means for yourself and at, whether, to the extent that you think about yourself as a brand and how it means for yourself to be promoting yourself. Maybe it's better that you don't get, that you don't have to try and learn that from a classroom because that might just not do anything for you. So who knows? Maybe that's actually okay that that doesn't get taught in the program. I think one of the other issues we have, you know, we talk, well, I don't think, I know. We didn't have this. Like when I was growing up, we didn't have you like, oh, I'm going to interview this guy on the music, the business of music, and we're going to have this whole thing, and we're going to find everything out on social media. And we're gonna, like, we didn't have any of that. So we we... I can think of numerous players who played circles around me in school and I've done more than them musically. It So because I had the attitude that I got to just do it. Now, maybe they made a choice. Maybe they made a choice to teach. Not that that's a bad choice, but I didn't want to teach. So it was, it was even more scary for me. Like I, I didn't even finish college. I'm like, I can't, I'm so done with high school and academics. Like I'm, I'm out. Same. So I, I had to make it, you know, you have to make it. And so I think kids these days are like, okay, we have access to all these people and we have access to books and YouTube and we can find out everything we need to know about the music career. So then I can sit down and write out this list that says, if I do all this, I'm going to be really successful and it doesn't work like that. I can hand you, you could get a grant will tomorrow for $50,000. It might not make any difference to your career and the success of your career. You may practice and become a virtuosic electric bass player and it may not make any difference to your career. So like your own satisfaction about what's important to you and what you deem as a success, I really need to take my own advice, but what you deem as a success, that's what matters. And at the end of the day, although I'm not particularly happy right now or, you know, jumping around like, hey, my life is so great. At the end of the day, like when I die, I'm going to be like, I left it all out there. I didn't leave any opportunity. Would I have liked to have been a better saxophone player? Yep. Did I make some mistakes? Did I hurt some people? Did I wreck some relationships that I wish I didn't? But did I help a lot of people? Did I make a lot of great... Like, yeah. So at the end of the day, like if my life ends tomorrow, I'll be like, man, I left it out there. So that's a success. And I have a house, a modest house, and I drive a crappy little car and... You know, I have two kids who are thriving and doing that. To me, that's a success. Yeah. And uh, so, you know. When uh, when you came on the Rhythm Changes podcast and we ended up 
chatting and getting the idea to do jazz office hours i asked you what you wanted to do before you're 50 and now you're talking about while you're alive so you got tons of time to hit all that stuff yeah so yeah so you know i mean i'm i'm one of the lucky ones in that i remember very early on i went to a, a thing called this is a bit personal but that's okay i went to a thing called a come alive it was a thing on gabriel island that was very valuable but i remember we sat in this big circle and we were there i was there with people who were thinking of divorce, getting a divorce, people who were cheating on their spouses, people who were victim of victims of abuse of all kinds. So I'm sitting there going like, I've had a pretty good life. But my issue is like, I'm 30, I think I was 30. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I was young. And I was like, I've done everything that I set out to do. And I'm bored. Like, I mean, I own a club. I was touring with Dr. Lonnie Smith. I'd been to New York. Uh, I had a record label. Like I, I'm done. And man, the the res like the responses I got. It was a really neat thing because people were mad at me, like you selfish, like how dare you, you know. And then what happens is you break off into small groups and you kind of break that. It was, anyways, it was brilliant. And it was a really incredibly insightful, um, and, and, and educational situation. But yeah, I, I mean, I've been, I've been lucky to be able to do the things that I've, I've done and I'm, you know, I'm striving to, to do better at everything. Um, and as long, I think as long as you have that in whatever capacity, whether it's being a better dad or being a better husband or uh, whatever it is. Like this, as long as you haven't like completely given up and just sitting on the couch, you know, drinking beer and eating Krispy Kreme donuts, like, you know, you get up every day and you do your thing and try to be better. I, yeah. yeah. But I mean, you know, people say, oh, you know, Corey, you're so lucky. Like, how come you're not like bounding around with happiness? Because I work hard and I have all the same questions about life that everybody has, you know, the pandemic and what it all means and the gas prices and like, when's it all going to, you know, you're paying $6 for a head of lettuce. I'm like, when is it all going to just like, something's got to give, you know? And so yeah. I talk to my friends, I talk to the people that I love and respect and, you know, everybody's going through the same thing. So at that, but at the end of the day, it's just keep doing what you're doing and keep, you know, be kind and keep pushing through and doing your thing. It should be fine. You know? Interesting. I don't know. Okay. I got one. I got one more thing. Yeah, um, sure. a, cl a fun closer to ask you about. So, you published the lineup for Jazz at the Bolt 2023. Yeah, I'm very stoked. I'm gonna do a, a breakdown of the of the lineup at some point on Rhythm Changes in some capacity to as a okay. way too early preview of it. One notable change about this year's Jazz at the Bolt is that you have roped in your good friend and mine, Mr. Tim Reiner, to present Infidels Jazz Emerging Artists and. Yep. I'll ask him about it later, but I was wondering if you could uh, tell me about your side of the story and setting that up and just how the experience of teeing up Jazz at the Vault has been for you. So far, we're in November here. It's coming yeah. up in a couple months. How's that been going, putting that together for you? It's been stressful this year. I think it's probably been stressful every year, but yeah. it's stressful because the time, the time just goes so fast. You know, and so, and I've got so much other stuff going on. You know, if Jazz at the Bolt was my full-time job, it'd be one thing, but it's like, oh, okay, I got to deal with Jazz at the Bolt today. And the booking of it came together quite quickly, but the, the, the administration, I've got Casey helping me with some stuff. So 
you know, and then you're this, I my relationship with Shad Bolt's incredible, but it's still a city and they were going through changes there. Like Corey Philly is no longer there and Beth Southwell got the job. And that means they had to find somebody for her job, which they didn't find. And so she was stressed and busy. It was summertime. People were still getting COVID. It was just like, oh my God, we've got the fall show. So we're cool. The problem is that, and this is just the way things are with me and this ties into what we were talking about. I would like things to be much more streamlined in terms of the media and the promotion, but it's not. So I have a publicist. She takes care of a lot of the stuff and, you know, I'm kind of doing the social media and, and it's just, it's going to be what it is. Um, but it never, you know, I don't have a team of people. I have me. Um, and, and I'm not saying that I don't have help, you know, I'm not coastal. I don't have a team of. But like, people. what you're saying is like you are doing stuff. You are not yeah. just an executive or a manager of the team. Like, no, you no, have no, no, to no. do I'm things, a, and I'm you have help. That, yeah. But like, you have to do a lot yeah. of things yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, of course, Tim and I have an online, uh, which so many people still don't get, and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. But Tim and I have a, a an adversarial relationship online uh, that's mostly fun. Uh, 99% fun. Sometimes we strike a nerve with each other and we deal with it offline, but it's, uh, you know, it's fun. And Tim's doing, Tim's serving a musical community and a, and a demographic that quite frankly, I don't serve. And that's the music that's a little more to the left. Um, and he's really engaging with the emerging and young artists. And when he does it, I don't have to. And the best thing for me to do is partner with somebody who does it. There's some things out there that I'm not doing well because I can't. Let's get Tim. So I thought this year it would be, what we did this year, there's also no opening concert. And we did that for a couple yes, different not, reasons. Yes, nothing on the Friday night. Yeah. It's a big ask to get people to come out three days in a row to a place that quite frankly is sort of in the middle of nowhere for Guilty, many people. I didn't come on yeah. the Friday night. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to get them to come three nights. And the way Shadbolt structured the tickets was let's do $50 a day, including the concert or three days for a hundred bucks. So what ended up happening is that I think, uh, people came on Friday and Saturday and then Sunday was sunny and it was Super Bowl, and they're like, "Well, we don't have to go because we actually kind of technically got it for free, so we're not going to go." So Sunday and they was missed a the freaking Ostara project. They missed the the amazing uh, set. Was that, that was on, on Sunday? Yeah, that was on the Sunday. That's right. Because I was there Saturday that. and all Sunday. I took right. that as an invitation to come out, right? Because it was like, yeah. it's like, oh, it's a nice day. I'm get I'm, get, I'm going out on the Sunday. Right. But yeah, I remember. I do recall that. But yeah, I didn't go on Friday for exactly that reason. Yeah, so we switched it to two days. Um, and raised the tickets a little bit and gave people a deal for the two day. Um, and I just thought it would be, I've really been in, and you've probably noticed by some of the stuff I've been booking at the club and some of the people that I've been playing with that I'm making a much bigger effort to engage with the younger musicians because I think it's important. Not because I think it's going to make me look good, because it's important, because those are the people that are going to carry this music forward because uh, I'm not going to be doing this forever. Um, so I was like, Tim, man, I think that you should book four groups. I think you should book four groups of your choice that I have nothing to do with. And it's fantastic. I'm really excited to have them involved and I'm very excited to have Tim involved. Tim is involved 
anyways, because he MCs for me. So it just really made sense. And it, it's a nice way to say, Hey, look, like Tim and I work together and we're doing some cool things and it helps his brand. Um, and I, it just looks good and it's going to be fun and it, it makes the, 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 the programming a little more eclectic and different. So I, I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, of course, ticket sales have been slow, but it's, you know, it's November. Um, you know, the festival's not until February, so it'll be fine. And it's a really neat, uh, I think we've got a really cool lineup. I was very, um, I'm very excited about how it's all come together. Nice. Corey, thanks for a great episode. And we will do one more of these before the Christmas break hits, and that'll be out in December. But until next time, I will see you around town, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Will. I appreciate it.